0: People often try to like resolve what is the answer, but it's okay to have this duality of competing ideas in your mind. And that's kind of wisdom to be able to accept two completely different things at the same time. And that's kind of a beautiful thing. I was just sitting down talking to my friend and she's about 30 you know, I hear this stuff a lot from many people at many ages. Like, there's so much stuff going on in her life. She doesn't know what to do. She's confused. She do this. She do that. There's different combating things in her mind. And she's the kind of person, which a lot of people are, who's looking for the right answer, trying to figure out the, the right thing to do. And that's almost a bad premise. There's not always a super clear-cut answer. Life is complicated. And kind of appreciating that complication makes life beautiful and interesting in a way and there's there's certainly nothing wrong with it i like to say it's good to be the dolphin that swims in the waves therapist uncensored brings you decades of experience with interpersonal psychotherapy relational neuroscience modern attachment and anything else they think will be helpful in healing humans now hear your co-host dr ann kelly and sue marriott
1: Hey gang, this is Ann Kelly. And with this episode, we are wrapping up season four and we are doing it with a bang. So you're probably aware of the surge of research on therapeutic use of psychedelics that are showing really promising mental health outcomes. But what if you could get the benefits of therapeutic psychedelics without ingesting any drugs? Wouldn't that be cool? So this is exactly what blew Sue's mind when she discovered today's guest, Trey Radcliffe's latest artistic creation. So he's produced an art video experience that might be able to deliver just that. So it's kind of hard to describe, but basically it's an original video set to customized binaural music that pairs with an app called Trip. Yes, Trip T R I P P, which if done correctly, it gives you the fully immersive virtual reality experience that's not unlike a trip in real life. It's really wild. And at the very least, these artistic video experiences can enhance your mindfulness practice or launch you into a brand new meditative experience. So wild, yes, but fundamentally, this is about unlocking human potential and facilitating healing of humans. So Trey Radcliffe, our guest, is an all-around artist known for his photography originally, but really he is becoming a worldwide consciousness raiser. So his photos have been viewed billions of times, and he uses his social media platform of 5 million followers to help them to find themselves and find presence through creativity. So his platform, Stuck in Customs, hosts a plethora of options to inspire us. It's really amazing. There's even a YouTube channel that provides this fabulous 360-degree experience. You really have to see it to believe it. Before we jump in, speaking of naturally induced chemical experiences, our next episode, which kicks off Season 5, brings you the pioneer of oxytocin research herself, Dr. Sue Carter. You may be familiar with her partner, Dr. Steve Porges of Polyvagal fame, who's been a previous guest on our show. They're quite the dynamic duo. So Dr. Carter will help us learn to understand and to naturally facilitate our own favorite neuropeptide oxytocin. So tune in to our next episode. And if you're eager to learn more, please join our Neuro nerd Patreon community at patreon.com backslash Therapist Uncensored. All right, let's jump in. It's really, truly an honor to introduce you to Trey Radcliffe.
2: So hey, welcome to Therapist Uncensored, Trey. It is wonderful to have you with us. Maybe we could start with set and setting. That's a kind of a generally good thing to do when we we're having a, an experience together. <laughs> do you want to say a little context, maybe just a quick brief about who you are and where you are and how you're feeling? Because that's part of Set and Setting.
1: I'm
0: Trey Ratcliffe. I'm currently uh, in New Zealand. I moved here about 10 years ago, and now I live down the South Island where it's all mountainy and snowy. It's wintertime down here now. But I came to the North Island to work on an art commission. I'm really an artist. I don't know. I hate to define myself, you know, or have some identity, right? Isn't that one of the great goals of life is to shed all identity? Although it does make it useful when describing stuff that you're into. But yeah, so I'm a fine artist.
2: Well, and I can help with that, actually, because part of how I know you, know you in quotes, is it started with photography. So those of you that are listening that are into photography at all, trade is incredible teachings, education around how to unleash the photographer within you. But it goes well beyond that. You know, photography has been one of my mindfulness practices so that even when I don't have a camera in my hand, like you kind of see through a shutter and you can see things you would not normally see. So it's like I see you and I think that you identify this way is like you unleash creativity and you unleash, you know, sort of more of our humanness in various ways, actually. Is that too lofty? <laughs> no,
0: no, that's right. I mean, you know, you're right. Because, you know, I'm on a long path. And I hope we're all on long paths. And, you know, what you see and want and do changes over time. Hopefully it matures and goes up the right ramp. I think of this consciousness ramp, you know, down at the bottom is like a grasshopper or like Trump or something. But, but the top is like Buddha, right? We're somewhere on there. So hopefully you keep kind of moving up that ramp. And so, yeah, I started taking photos and I started teaching But I realized that photography for me was like a meditative thing. I was super present and I had never felt like that before because I didn't get my first camera until I was 35, about 14 years ago. And I didn't even know that like mindfulness was a thing and presence was a thing. So I accidentally found that. And then I started reading Eckhart Tolle and all this kind of stuff was like, wow, they started to put an intellectual scaffolding about around what I was experiencing and then Even though I was teaching photography, I thought, well, let's be a little bit more bold and not just teach photography, but try to teach presence. Because photography is like a forced meditation in a way, because you have to be present. And I think it's good. So I want to encourage people to be creative, because I think when you're creative, you help to find your true self. So that's kind of become a big modus operandi. I like to say that my overall goal is to spread love and consciousness as it is, like as, as I understand it, you know, and I'm still learning as I get older.
2: I would add probably and silliness that you have a real lightness about you and your work. So I think that's an important part of it, right? That we're not just like being all serious and trying to expand our minds, but kind of the goal is play, right?
0: Yeah, I think it really helps when you don't take yourself seriously and you don't have an ego or no self identity. You can just kind of say just what pops into your mind. You know, sometimes I get in trouble for it, but to me, it's like, well, just let it flow. And, you know, sometimes you might get the wrong idea or not get a joke or whatever. But I'm, you know, I have a very like naughty sense of humor. I think it's fun to be in the middle of a discussion and like just say anything and to keep it light, right? Life is not so serious. I'll tell you something funny. I was doing DMT with a group of friends We have a little salon and a new guy came into our salon. He's from Peru, big old Afro, really cool. He's one of those guys who walks in the room. You can just tell he's a yogi. You know, he's just got this thing about him. Like, wow, it's, this it's, guy. It's
2: something about the eyes too. It's like this calmness or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He was just peaceful and yeah. like brutal, slow with his movements, but he was also quite serious. You know, some of those guys and gals, women, I don't know if you're not supposed to say gal, they can be pretty serious about it, you know, with no levity. And I don't really find that off-putting, but so anyway, he was like that. He went through the DMT session. It was his first time and it's good in terms of set and setting to have an intention, right? So he went into it. And so during this little 15-minute session while he's laying on the couch, he's laughing and almost laughing in tears, like the most ludicrous laugh and- we take turns and we sit up, we discuss what we saw when we went in there to, were the machine elves there? What did they show you? What did you see in the matrix? What facet of the jewel of life did you get to see this time? And so he came out of it and like he integrated for a few minutes and he goes, I saw everything. I saw the gods and they told me that I'm way too serious that the universe is a fun and very silly place. You know, like it's a big Monty Python skit. Don't take it so seriously. Don't take yourself so seriously. And I've I've thought that a lot, you know, because sometimes you do encounter real serious people, and I kind of have a tough time having interchanges with them. But, yeah, you know, there's a lot of bad shit going on in the world. People have problems. Things like that you should take seriously. Don't take everything with levity. It's not all one big joke. But, yeah, hey, lighten up a little bit. Life's also a party.
2: I got to meet Ken Rinpoche, who is in the lineage of the Dalai Lama, incredible opportunity. You know, we were schooled beforehand not to touch him, like all these things. And the kids are around, and he's whispering something, and they just die laughing. And so basically what he was saying into their ear was, rabbit (laughs) poo-poo. And so he just had this fantastic, you know what I mean, like he's in his robe and everything, and, (laughs) and he would just say it. And they just loved him, of course, and we're just all at his feet. So, here's one of the things that I have. So, I'm a therapist, and I see a lot of and believe in the research around psychedelics and expanding consciousness and all of those things. But I have some concerns. And part of it is from a research perspective, to me, there's a evangelicalism (laughs) at times about like, this is the thing, you know, which is different from like, my experience was so awesome. Oh my God, everybody should take this. We should put it in the water, all that. Versus like seeing people who are clinically depressed and sort of making promises that they're going to get better, that kind of thing, right? And I've worked with folks on ketamine and things like that. And it's not all roses. This is not a panacea. So it's great, it's fun, it's positive, but I also sort of am careful about making promises to people who are actually really need it and need relief. So I saw your drawings, your Machine Elf drawings. So for folks who are listening, we're going to give you all of this in the show notes. You know, I when I wrote you, I was like, my mind is blown. Because what I began to think, because it's a immersive experience that you can do it in 3D, was that... Oh, so can you deliver the psychedelic experience and get the benefits of a psychedelic experience from a mental health standpoint without the chemical? So that was where I was just like, ah, oh, my gosh. So do you have any thoughts about that? And also, actually, can we step back and you can tell people what we're talking about about these drawings they are amazing.
0: Sure. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts and I've done a lot of research into this area, especially into the neuroscience of it. My degree is computer science and math. so I've always been quite nerdy. And I know that through some of my psychedelic experiences, they've been the most healing and transformative of my life. And they've really inspired my art. I think they've made me a more open person, more loving person. And I think that's great. I think that'd be great for everybody. I'm not passing judgment if they're not like that, but you know, it's just good for you. And that's why there's therapists like you around to help people get to that spot. So the thing is that the, Visual cortex can be so easily hacked. You've got five senses. You probably have more senses that we don't know about, but there's five easily identifiable ones. And they're not all same level. For most people, the two biggies are what you see and what you hear. That's mostly what your brain is processing. Your brain ignores feel almost all the time. Like you're feeling yourself sitting in a chair. I have one leg crossed over another. It just it ignores that. And so when your brain is getting dominated by what it sees and what it hears it can go to another place and relax and it's this forced meditation and forced that sounds bad you know what I mean? it's it's like you're you're in there for the ride it's going to be 10 15 20 minutes and your mind calms down on visually it's machine out thing which I'll describe in a minute yeah. and we have this beautiful custom audio that's made by my business partner Sam Wake. it's all custom to go with the music and you're on this journey and your mind just settles. And there's this beautiful Indian guru. I forgot his name, but he has this great poem. Anyway, in it, he describes the mind like a glass of muddy water. You just leave it alone. The mud will sink to the bottom, and there's clarity on top. So that's what happens in these experiences. And in clarity, sometimes you can figure something out something that was a little broken inside of you. I hate to use the word broken, but something that you needed to make progress on or a new perspective that you might want to have or forgiveness or, or gratitude. Or... So it is nice to go into it with a little bit of an idea. So what are these machine elf things that we're talking about? They're basically three dimensional fractals that are made out of pure math. They're very colorful. They're super intricate. They're impossibly intricate. I've never seen anything like it. I'm not bragging or anything. I'm just telling you objectively. Ah. I'm not making them because no one else has made them before, but I'm just addicted to them. Like I stay up late at night working on them. There's a lot of failures. Each one has taken a little over a month to make and make custom music for. It takes me about four to six weeks to make them, to create them. And a lot of them just are disasters. And the best way to experience them is in 3D wearing a vr mask we partnered with this company called trip and they kind of want to be like the netflix of conscious experiences which is pretty cool concept i think but the first three and maybe some more we're always working on more we're going to also release on youtube so people you can go look at a youtube in 4k i suggest full screen good earphones and then we've also released some 360 ones which you can still see in a rectangle and you can grab the screen and kind of move it around in different ways. Funny that you mentioned ketamine because just down the road here in Auckland, I'm talking to a few doctors who have the ketamine treatment going and there's been research that having a meditative experience before you do ketamine helps your mindset, helps relax you. Because you, it is sometimes done in this kind of clinical doctor's office where people don't feel like they're in a comfy couch or whatever. So. Anyway, we're going to use the Machine Elf. We're going to put a series of these things on before they go into their ketamine treatment. And we think it's going to work really well. But we're going to measure, you know, we measure, iterate, repeat. And if this works, we want to get it out everywhere because there's a lot of mental health problems out there. There's not enough use to go around. Some of these things might be shortcuts or a different way or an additional way. And it really is like a, a beautiful experience. I'm glad people are moved by it.
2: I mean, moved is an understatement. It felt like it popped off the screen. I'll just sort of describe it from my experience. The colors, the movement, the music, of course, with it. You're using fractals. There's definitely a feeling of something that you would find in nature. Some of them I find scary. (laughs) Like it actually gives me like the, you know, the squares and that sort of stuff. And then some of them, it's just like you can just drift away. And the idea behind it, and part of what I got so excited about is that just like you're saying, anything that enhances tilling the soil around the mind and like mixing things up and freeing you. And I did it only with a 2D. I actually tried to get VR and like it's everything sold out. I'm sure it's like partly in response to y'all's release. I'm not sure, but I'm looking forward to doing it. You'll never seen anything like it. I can absolutely guarantee you. It is the most beautiful and transformative and exciting. So part of it is like you get drawn along in a story, but you are free to kind of then project your own story into it. Was that intended?
0: Absolutely. I'm glad you get it. You know, not everyone does. A lot of people look at it they're like, what the fuck is this? Why is Trey doing this? Shouldn't he be taking photos? People get like that. Like, you know, old friends, like let's say you change or you do something different or like whatever. You're know, like, your friends get mad at you. Like, that's not... <laughs> what you're supposed to do. (laughs) I think people's reactions crack me up. (laughs) And one of my best analogies for it is stolen from the author, Michael Pollan wrote how to change your mind and the herbivores dilemma. A lot of times people's brains are like a ski slope. There's like a bunch of powder and then there's tracks that go down and then you just end up going down the same tracks, right? You just get stuck in the same tracks and an experience like this can, like, shake it up, and it's all smooth powder, and you have a chance to make new tracks. Because the brain it does get stuck in these cycles of tired, tired thoughts. So when you go on this journey with these machine-off creations, I'm glad you saw it like that, because it's the same way I see it, that's the same way, is that overall, you're in a safe place. It's not scary in the way that a, a guy's going to jump out of a bush with a knife, but it is there are certain tones, certain waves, that can be a little confronting, not to the level like horror movie sounds confronting, but there's just a little bit of little bit challenging. I would say, really, 95 percent of it is not like that. and it's light and journey and like of but there's a few things in there. And when you hear these tones, it can be a little bit confronting, but you know, you're in a safe place, you're like, "Oh. Okay, You know, cause a good story has a beginning and a middle and an end, and there's some conflict in there and it's complicated and you can come out of the experience and you feel calm and what you're seeing is so complicated that you're like, okay, life is complicated. There's a duality. There's two things in my head that are both very true, but very opposite. Like you could be having good thoughts about someone and bad thoughts about someone or, you know, these sorts of things. And that's okay. People often try to like resolve what is the answer, but it's okay to have this duality of competing ideas in your mind. And that's kind of wisdom to be able to accept two completely different things at the same time. And that's kind of a beautiful thing. I I was just sitting down talking to my friend and she's about 30. You know, I hear this stuff a lot from many people at many ages, like there's so much stuff going on in her life. She doesn't know what to do. She's confused. She do this. She do that. There's different combating things in her mind. And she's the kind of person, which a lot of people are, who's looking for the right answer, trying to figure out the, the right thing to do. And that's almost a bad premise. There's not always a super clear-cut answer. Life is complicated. And kind of appreciating that complication makes life beautiful and interesting in a way. And there's, there's certainly nothing wrong with it. I like to say it's good to be the dolphin that swims in the waves.
2: That's a beautiful way to describe it. It made me think of coronavirus and, you know, it's confusing and there's multiple things happening and we're getting multiple messaging, not in New Zealand, who is doing, by the way, a fantastic job of managing it, but certainly here in the United States and sorting out noise from what have you. So it's a journey Part of what I was excited about is like a Rorschach. Actually, this gets into the research. I want to ask you real quick. So I was looking into and thinking about like, what is the therapeutic effect of a psychedelic? Not the mechanism of it. Not that it happens. So I think this is kind of my take, and I really want to hear from you, that there's kind of two camps roughly from a therapy perspective, one being that the images that you see have to do with unconscious things that you need to work out, whether it be trauma or whatever it is, emerges and the content of your feelings and images are what is important. And then there's another camp that is more dominant now that includes some of the neuroscience. It's not the content at all that it's the visual and the actual experience of it that kind of scrambles. It's the snow globe mixing up the snow. Then the content is just a side thing. Those are just some thoughts that I had. What's your perspective?
0: Yeah, first I'll talk about the non-molecule version and then the molecule version. So awesome. basically the one without drugs and the one with drugs. So without drugs it's something like machine elf where you have that experience. Even just looking at a screen is pretty good. It's a little bit better if it's wrapped around your head with good earphones. And a lot of this neuroscience research comes from one of my good friends, Adam Gazzali. He has this incredible lab in San Francisco where he builds fairly robust VR experiences where it's almost like you're in this futuristic car and there's a screen that hangs down and like it wraps around you and there's good audio and there's even like wind and I think smell effects. It's a calming thing. It's basically you put this on. And you're just like walking through nature. You're just walking through some trees, just walking through the garden. There's birds flying around. That's all it is. But it's so immersive. Your brain totally thinks that's happening. So in an amazing piece of news, he's really excited. The FDA has just approved this as something that doctors can prescribe. So it's being prescribed to kids with like ADD, ADHD. You know, kids have all these problems in the US, which might be not problems at all. It might just be... Some kids are just hyperactive. Maybe they're looking at their screens. Maybe they're not spending enough time in nature. Of course, that's the problem. We all know it. And so instead of like prescribing like Ritalin or whatever, like US is like, they just prescribe a drug for everything. It's a kind of crazy anyway, just get out of nature, be you in nature. So now they can prescribe, it's like a video game almost. This is a huge step forward because the FDA never before would think about being able to prescribe an experience like that. And so it is effective, and and it does work. Just like machine up, these things work. Now, jumping the fence over to having therapy that's assisted by molecules, a lot of these are now in FDA's phase three, phase four trials, which means it's being tested on thousands of people. And the results are incredible because these are all in lab environments. It's all legal. It's in hospitals. There's an organization called MAPS, that I certainly donate to. So two of the big research centers, one is at John Hopkins University and the other is Imperial College London. Tim Ferriss and Matt Mullenwig and a bunch of people have donated like $15 million. They've got like nine different experiments going on and they all look promising, but I would say just to mention one is MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. And these look like they're having cure rates. And again, I know you talked about promising people anything. I don't think you ever promise. I think that's always irresponsible. But like, this is an option. It's safe. You're not gonna die. It'll be interesting. And so you go in and you you meet with the psychotherapist who's trained in this sort of thing. And you just have a normal session. Like, what are you working on? You know, you got some daddy issues, you got Whatever. Everyone has stuff, you know, I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying like everyone, not everyone has something, but.
2: Oh, everyone has something.
0: <laughs> like maybe even like as like a three-year-old child, your mom took you to the grocery store and grocery cart. And then she like left you alone for an hour. Then you have abandonment issues. It doesn't have to be like super traumatic, but a lot of it is right. For example, all these veterans are coming back from the Gulf War and PTSD Dozens of people kill themselves every day because they just can't handle it. I think a lot of people have all sorts of PTSD, childhood trauma, whatever. So they go in, they talk to the counselor like, this is what I'm really having trouble with. Or they might even say like, there's something wrong with me and I'm not sure what it is. I might have repressed something, you know, which a lot of people have. That's a way the brain protects itself in a way. But then that can cause other aberrant behavior that confuses them and confuses other people so you go into it hopefully with an open mind like i want to fix it they say great come back tomorrow they come back into the counselor's office and they they lay down on a couch they give them one pill of mdma it's all measured out exactly i think it's like i don't know 140 milligrams a little adjustment for body weight so they take that they're told this is going to be a five-hour experience they put on a face mask and they play music and then the counselor It's just they're holding space there if they need anything. There's no talking that needs to be done. They're free to say something, they're free to hold your hand because MDMA fills you with so much like love for yourself and love for other people. Sometimes it's just nice to hold someone's hand. So they might do that. That might be the maximum amount of touching allowed, right? You know, they make all that clear. And sometimes, if it's a woman, you know, they make sure that as a, a woman, there too, because it's a very vulnerable state and mindset and mind setting is so important. And anyway, after another hour, they have another booster pill, and then they're off on their ride. And through self love and through really understanding, people see like, oh, I get it, I understand, and then they emerge, and their mind is blown. I think the prescription for this is like three or four sessions. They're tried it in different ways, so it's a total shortcut. There's no doubt about that, and I sometimes wonder if what I want to ask you about too is because this would be interesting to know because they are coming up with really great results, and I know traditional therapy has really great results too. These seem to be a little faster sometimes and so with very high success rates, so I sometimes wonder if people in the traditional, more conservative therapy world, immediately have a bit of a, like, I don't know, because what we do works. We've been doing this ever since Freud. We got this stuff figured out. We don't need some hippies coming and throwing some kind of, is there a little bit of defensiveness going on from the traditional therapy society?
2: From my perspective, like, the only thing that raised my defensiveness a little bit was that anytime I hear a group just hitting one note, you know, I'm a group therapist, actually. I'm like, wait, where's the rest of the message? So that's just one thing as far as just like, where's the complexity of it? For example, someone comes in with sexual abuse and they have a attachment issues and a narrative of being overpowered. So that's the only thing that I wonder about is like more of the specificity of like, who is it good for? Under what circumstances? That kind of thing where it gets more complex. I actually love it. And this is part of why you're on, is I want everybody to know about it. If there's something that works, oh, my gosh. One other thing, though, is that I worry about is accessibility. And is this going to be a class thing? Because the expense of those kinds of long sessions with a professional is going to be prohibitory. So I just wonder how you all think about that.
0: Well, I actually disagree. If you look at the economics of it, and that's what they're all doing, The things like MDMA and psilocybin, which is another thing they're using, none of this stuff is patentable. And this is not anti-pharmaceutical. A lot of people are like anti this or everyone's out to get you. But pharmaceutical companies are not going to be able to charge a big price for this stuff. And so they're not going to end up with this network of doctors who have a very strange incentive to prescribe more so people keep coming back and they get more. And so it's a bit incestuous and can be quite expensive. This you go have three or four sessions, you're done. You might want to come back a few years later. It might be injurious like to people, I don't know your schedule, but if like normally you're booked out with 20 hours of therapy a week and that's sort of a guaranteed income, then if people don't have to come every week of their life, then it's actually better and cheaper for them in the long run. But we don't know the economics of this because it hasn't really happened yet. I think we can see that if you look at something that has nothing to do with therapy, really, I think it does actually a little bit. People that like to do pot, right? I don't like to do pot or weed or anything. It just doesn't work with my brain chemistry very well. But a lot of people that I know that have anxiety or whatever, it seems to really help them. And I know it has like other benefits too. So if you look at states where it's been legalized and stopped being pushed underground, it's cheap. It's better than drinking in a lot of ways. It stopped so many arrests of people like selling one type of plant. People stop going to jail. So that's reduced another kind of secondary anxiety where jails are filling up. So that's the first time we've like decriminalized and legalized a plant, something that's natural. And you could say it's had a pretty nice beneficial effect on society. People aren't going out, getting crazy. Sometimes it's nice for people to self-medicate in a good environment with a good setting where you feel safe. And there's a lot of research on that. That's the thing about these molecules is because they're so bad and so terrible that there's not a lot of information out there. And then people end up getting bad stuff. So I know how it can be very scary. And that's why I'm glad these guys are doing all this actual research to publishing papers, peer reviews. This is the way science moves forward. And I think it'll be beneficial for the world because honestly, forget about everything we said. Let's just jump back to the 50,000 foot view about consciousness. Look how many unconscious people there are on the planet right now. That's the big war going on. Forget about nations. Forget about all that. Just look at how much unconscious activity there is and how much conscious activity. And when you have like billions of unconscious people doing things to hurt people, making people fear groups, groupism. It all comes from an overly strong ego, identity, an unconsciousness. There's no awakening. And so that's maybe why I talk a little bit about this, because the awakening needs to happen faster. It's too slow, right? There aren't enough yous in the world to help people.
2: <laughs> that's true. Well, and people don't have access to therapy all the time either. And therapy's super expensive, So it's this question about accessibility is fair. It's like, you know, what about therapy accessibility? You know, just to add to your argument. The other thing about these compounds is that they're not the thing that you go and do over and over and over and over. So they're not like crack or coat. You know what I mean? They're not like those molecules. You don't even want to do them over and over and over necessarily.
0: No, totally. That's a very important differentiation, too, because a lot of people that hear drugs, they group them all into all are bad and Like, I experiment with so many things. In fact, I have a new podcast I'm launching called Molecules I've Ingested. And each one is a story about a different molecule, and they're hilarious stories, but also educational. So none of this stuff that I take is addictive. Like, if you have a good LSD acid trip with your friends, it's not like you want to do it the next day. You might wait another three months because it's such a special experience. So I, I would never do, like, crack or heroin or meth. That stuff is shit. And that doesn't take you anywhere your brain needs to go. That's just pure escapism. And so many people think everything else is also pure escapism and it's all addictive and it will make you a bad person. It is not true. It can make you a much better person.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, I think of dirty pain and clean pain and the stuff that you're talking about with crack and stuff like that feels to me like dirty pain. It's like enacting old stuff that's really bad for us and like covering up and drinking too much and you know what I mean like it's painful but it doesn't take us anywhere whereas clean pain from a therapeutic standpoint is like when you're doing the hard thing to get through something when you're mourning a loss it's moving you to the next thing and that's kind of these classes of molecules are in the clean pain category if there's even pain in it there can be There certainly can be. So everyone's listening and they're going, oh, my gosh, this sounds fantastic. Where do I get my psilocybin or my, you know what I mean? Like, I can absolutely guarantee you I'm going to be head up with like, what's the underground market? You know, So how do you answer that question?
0: (laughs) Well, there is an underground network in every state, everywhere. And when I say underground, I'm not meaning like this is a bunch of criminal masterminds in basements with piles of powder these are all professionals and even places where it's illegal there's still many psychotherapists that have studied the maps method where you can get help i think part of it is asking around there's nothing wrong with asking you know that's not illegal and then you can find out and it can be very embarrassing for people to ask if you're straight-laced and you don't want people to think badly of you or whatever like, I'm a super open guy, and then, like, sometimes when I'm in a new place, like, I go to, a, like, a yoga class, and there's a few people there that seem pretty switched on. So I'll just go and say, hey, do you know where there might be any mushrooms around here? Or do you know I have access to any, like, psychotherapists that do any kind of molecule-assisted therapy? And people know it's a pretty small network because people like to help people. For example, I was contacted through a friend, and there's a guy that was about to commit suicide, and he was just lost. And I didn't know him. By the way, I'm not a psychotherapist.
2: But you're a different kind of healer. I mean, you, you also are still a healer. Ah, thanks. Well, I'll try.
0: So, because I know the network, and I knew what city was lived in, I just hooked him up and said, here you guys go. You take care of it. Then they would figure out all the necessary steps, and they... They met, had an amazing session, and now he feels great. He's a new man. And I don't do it for the thanks or anything, but like if you see someone in need, I didn't say like this is a silver bullet. I shouldn't use that word, talking about suicide, but it might work. Try it. It's not going to hurt. If anything, it won't work. At its best, it will work really well. So there's just ask around, you know, try to find those kind of communities. I would recommend first that they do their own research, of course. Talk to your doctor. Doctors have heard everything. I think some people withhold stuff from their doctors. I don't know why. Doctors don't care. It's a judgment-free zone. Go in there. Tell them. Tell them you want to try this stuff. Sometimes doctors know these people. In fact, many doctors are, I'm not going to say what percentage, but they are experienced with all these sorts of molecules, and they know about these kind of treatments. And they can often get in trouble but they could always make us like, oh, hey, you should go have lunch with my friend, blah, 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 or whatever. And then that'll get you down the path. So I would talk to your doctor. I would definitely recommend this book, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Beautiful book, New York Times bestseller. He's a biologist, historian, a trade. And so that's a way you can start to educate yourself. It's good just to have options out there. It's good to have an open mind, especially if what you're doing is not totally working. If you're antidepressants, they're just kind of shaving off the highs and shaving off the lows, and you don't really feel like you're living life. Like, is this what life is about? Sometimes they work, but there's other options out there, and I, I want to free people.
2: For sure, and that's just part of why that it's so important to do this research, to move it down the path to legalization so that you're not having to do this underground thing. You know what I mean? That it will actually be more accessible. And you know, another thing I thought when you were talking about, like, folks who don't have resources if they did their research and if they did it in this controlled, careful way. Because what I was thinking was if that went well and if it was done in the right setting, that really opens the access because you're not having to go through a narrow portal of professional people. You can like peer education and commute, you know what I'm saying? Like flat, it can be flat, therefore more accessible.
0: Yeah. I think that because maps, this organization which I'll send you a link to because they know this is working so well. It's a huge wave coming. So I think right now they're training up over a thousand psychotherapists. And so they go to them. And then, so they're starting to get these people up because it could happen pretty fast. You know, legalization for this stuff. Like I said, it's FDA final stages. They're also fast tracking it in London because they look at the amounts of depression and suicide. They're higher than ever it's not that traditional psychotherapy is doing a bad job or doesn't know what it's doing. It just can't keep up. You know, it's not enough of you not enough people are going to get help. So you would think that in a supply and demand situation, as depression goes up, supply would go up psychotherapist, and then it would flatten out over time. But that is not happening. Just looking at mathematically, it's going way up. So the Imperial College of London talking about like, we have to try something else what's going on now isn't working. So that's why they're looking at these alternative psychotherapy sessions.
2: And, you know, just to be super clear again, like I don't know of any possessiveness about, no, we want to be the ones to cure because truthfully it's a science. It's evolving. We know a lot more now just speaking of neuroscience about like what works, about what changes the unconscious models that we hold, but it takes a long time and I think we're getting better and better at it, but we're still using blunt objects and, so I don't think we're sitting in a position of saying like, no, we've got it over here at all, especially couples therapy. Couples therapy is notoriously hard. Unless you're really well trained, it's not necessarily very effective. It just makes whatever's wrong bigger, you know, <laughs> which can be helpful.
0: I'll tell you two things about couples therapy that you might think are interesting. So I, I went through it with my wife a few years ago. I didn't work because we got divorced, But I, I want to go. I was open. You know, we tried, but you've gone through it. I'll tell you
2: totally I've gotten personally and professionally so yeah
0: and then it was funny like I think it was just our second or third session and she just kind of we were barely 20 minutes into it and then she leaned forward. She says, guys and she pulled out this brochure she goes this is hopeless she goes I'm going to hand you this brochure this is a retreat that you guys can go to for couples that are on their last legs it's an impossible thing and I was like well, that, that sounds like a lot of fun Sign <laughs> so that's one thing but actually, it ended very well, and we're still friends. I still love you. I could I went into it like with so much love and no fighting and like no bickering. So ours worked out great. And then the second thing is that you could research this yourself. That in the 1950s and 60s, right before I think MDMA got illegal, like in 68, 69, around the Vietnamese. That's one reason, by the way, all these things got illegal because Nixon saw all these protesters out there, all these hippies that were smoking dope and all this stuff. And he was like, we got to get rid of this stuff. It's bad. And so all this research stopped. There was a ton of research like to help stop smoking, to help stop alcoholism. And it was looking incredible anyway. So before all this happened, marriage counselors, they would prescribe MDMA to them. They're like, (laughs) guys, go have this tonight. Call me in the morning.
2: Oxytocin. Here you go.
0: Blast oxytocin, here's some dopamine, here's some adrenaline. Have fun, guys. Because it's a treat serum. You tell them everything, and you mean it. You say, I'm sorry, like before. Some people have trouble saying, I'm sorry. And then you can really connect, like you did when you met. You know, when you fell in love, you at the puppy love stage, and then you have all this shit go off your life. Sometimes people do bad stuff. Sometimes kids are the pain in the ass. You lose a kid so you have puppy love stage ah, oh, just like in the disney movies and then life is shit and things get worse and so this allows you to reconnect and i've seen it so many times i've seen couples do it and they reconnect and they hold hands and it's honest and you remember everything you have perfect memory and you're totally in control it's not like rapey or anything it's the least aggressive thing in the world it's the most gentle thing and you just completely pour out your heart. And even if you're an open person, like me, I pour out my heart even more. And it's a beautiful thing. So anyway, that would be a nice tool to add back into your kit.
2: Absolutely. And part of what stopped all that was all this anti-establishment, because people were enlightened and saying this power over repression is a problem. And so that was threatening to the folks in power for sure.
0: Well, when you have these things, you have so many realizations, not just about you, but about society, the earth, the government, that you can see that these institutions out there that rule us, they might not be that great. Maybe we shouldn't trust the government so much. They don't really appear to know what they're doing or any other kind of power structure or any structure. You're like, it really does make you question things, which is a good thing. You know, the government, they don't want to be questioned. Also, the church, by the way, is they're also against this stuff because especially with psychedelics, you get like direct access to the divine. Like you're there with the divine and you feel it and it's super real. Instead of having to use the church as a gateway, like they're the ones that will show you the divine. They're the gatekeepers. Keep coming to us so we can tell you. So, yeah, there's been a lot of things against it, but that's slowly rolling back now.
2: The thing about the snow globe where you shake it up and then you have fresh snow, right? With therapy, some of what we're trying to do is there are these unconscious stories that get laid down in our software based on very early experience. And this is why it takes so long, is because there's these highways neurologically so that we perceive ourselves and we perceive the world in these grooves, which is you know, the ski groove, let's say. So what I could say therapeutically is part of what's happening then, but in the example you gave with the MDMA, is that rather than sort of the slow process of getting your skis into a new thing and like that whole process that's more narrative and conscious, like top down, that from a bottom up, from a physiological standpoint, the snow globe gets shaken. And so then who you are and how you define yourself, you know, what our world is like, the unconscious internal working models, so you can rewire, you can reset and then see things in a new way. So that would be just the therapy translation of what potentially happens, even seeing ourselves in a new way, like seeing ourselves as beautiful instead of ugly. Those kind of deep ruts, you know, it's just real exciting about the possibilities.
0: Yeah, for sure. i have a good friend, go to Burning Man a lot. And sometimes our intention when we do these things is just to go out and have fun, go dance, laugh, have silly things happen it doesn't always have to be like the most transformative healing experience of your life. Sometimes you can just have fun. And that's a fine intention too. You stick together and that sort of thing. But anyway, so we would do MDMA, we dance and then like we walk off into the desert a little bit and talk. Actually, there's a group of us. and, And then so like during one of these little reflective moments, it can still be therapeutic. Even when you're out partying, he goes, Hey, Trey, you know what? I, I discovered something about myself. I said, what? And he goes, I think actually I know, I'm self-hating. I was like, what? Because this is one of the most happy-go-lucky guys i ever seen. He's funny. He's kind. He's loving. Everyone loves him. He doesn't have a big ego or anything. But I know he has moments sometimes. And he figured out, he goes, I'm self-hating. And he goes, and I figured out why. It's because my dad never told me he was proud of me. I thought, oh, man, that sucks. And he goes, but it's okay. I forgave him. And he goes, I know I'm worthy of love. Like it was a big breakthrough for him. And he just hugged me. I'm, dude, I said, dude, that's so awesome. You're such an awesome dude. Yeah. So that was like a big breakthrough for him. And he kind of figured it out on his own. You can't always figure this stuff out on your own. That's why it's good to have a guide to be a tour guide for your own soul. And so that was lovely. That shook up his, his snow globe just on his own. And now he's even more cruisy. He said that he would wake up in the morning just hating himself and like hard to get out of bed. And then we got out of bed and I got going. It was better. But he says, I hate waking up like that. I hate hating myself. And now he doesn't do it anymore. And it's a beautiful thing.
2: And if there's anything that we can be doing together to kind of get the word out about this kind of hope and new experiences of ourselves, new experiences of the world, like that's what it's all about. Just one last quick thought. Like, I think that you're so on to something because I'll, I'll share something that happened right before we got on is I was kind of looking and catching up with kind of what you were doing. And, you know, I saw some of the stuff that you talked about with despair, with death, with your wife's cancer scare. And I'm a pretty defended person, typically, like I'm pretty zipped up. Part of what's inspiring me about this is I want to be more open. And there was something about I think, how you talk about vulnerability and how you demonstrate it yourself something got around my defenses and so right before we came on I had all these tears that there was something inviting about like being real and being authentic you know I've had a ton of loss in the last year and there was just something about a note that you're hitting I think in all of your work that inspires that so I wanted to share that with you and I love it and if I could do something like that, you know, that's what we want to do is help people get that crust off of them. But it was really powerful. I had to be like, Ugh! <laughs> right before we got on. So, and that's what we want. That's what we want people to be more open, less defended. It's not that bad. <laughs> I want to go back to one thing that I want to highlight for everybody, which is you had said at the very beginning this non molecule, some of it is the Machine Elf and this trips.com app. But there was also this research where that people are prescribing it. So can you say that again?
0: You could probably find it just by Googling his name. His name is Adam Gazzele, G-A-Z-Z-A-L-E-Y. And I think it's pretty easy to find out what kind of research he's doing. That's a great thing. Trying new stuff. That's what humans do. Sometimes it's hard to tell, but we are trying to fix each other, make each other's lives better. There's enough of us out there where we can move the needle.
2: Yep. And we've got to push. There's no like sitting back and being too comfortable. (laughs) So what I would invite people to do, a very safe step would be to check out this machine elf, check out Trip and the 3D experience, or even just the big screen earphone experience as an experiment to see if it might help your mindfulness practice or your meditation practice. That's what it's about. And to facilitate the snow globe, the, your snow being stirred up just a little bit so that we can have more choice and we're not just automated.
0: Cool. Well Thanks so much. I enjoyed the discussion. It was a
2: pleasure. Thank you, Trey.
0: Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. Sick of being upsold at gyms?